guys. It's half past midnight, and you're listening to the Ghost Story Guys. Welcome to the Ghost Story Guys. I'm Brennan Store. I'm Ian Gibbs. And this is a show where we talk about spooks, specters, and all the other things watching us from the shadows beyond the campfire. Some conversations only make sense after the sun is set, and this is most definitely one. Thanks for tuning in. It's Wednesday, April 19th. This is episode 7, and we're coming to you from that tiny mountain cabin you dream about but can never quite reach. How you doing, Ian? No, I've been better, but I'm doing okay. <laughs> yeah, you are sick. Yes, I am. It's I'm, awesome. I'm sitting across from Ian. He's he's wheezing like an old steam engine, <laughs> and he's sitting next to an enormous bottle of NyQuil, which he's sipping from at, at, at intervals. <laughs> he kind of looks like a white little Wayne. <laughs> I'm chasing the cherry dragon. I'm waiting for him to drop the hottest album of 2017. <laughs> It'll happen. So like I said, we're, uh, we're recording a day late. Mm-hmm. Because you caught plague on weekend and have been slowly dying. I did. And uh, you had an interesting weekend, did you not? Uh, well, yeah, I did. I had some company in town from Revelstoke. Nice. Uh, a good friend of mine was visiting. It was great to see her, but I got to say, I felt bad because she's very, very fit. <laughs> and and I'm a human potato. As am I. I understand that. You know, she likes to go for three-hour-long bike rides. And I mean, I sleep until 11, then I go to the coffee shop for three <laughs> hours. That's my day. I like her three-hour bike ride, like she stopped for breakfast or she oh, got lost. No, apparently the actual physical activity last three hours long. I didn't think there were bicycle trails in the world <laughs> that were that long. I didn't think bikes actually worked that long. I suspect there's a human rights issue at the play. I would, I'll go on a bike ride. Don't get me wrong. I own a very nice bike and I'll go on a bike ride, but there better be a pub or a bakery at the end of it. Yeah, no. I'm not going. 100%. Yeah. So before we get started, we have a little bit of feedback from the last episode. Okay. So it has been suggested that I came across as a bit intense in my enthusiasm for Barb from Stranger Things. Intense meaning creepy? That word was also used. <laughs> uh, let me be clear. I, I never want to be creepy. I mean, I respect Barb from Stranger Things uh-huh. as a person. Mm-hmm. I just like to respect her on a bearskin rug Please in front of a roaring fire oh, God. for three hours. That's a hideous visual. So uh, moving on from that as fast as possible. <laughs> Please do. And before authorities can be called. <laughs> today we're going to be talking about Ian's book, Victoria's Most Haunted, which is finally almost available in stores. It is on the 25th, so next Tuesday. That's fantastic. So yeah, this will be out on... Thursday, so the following Tuesday, pick it up. It'll be on Amazon. We'll be in stores right away. It will be in stores uh, on the 25th. Yeah, it'll be in all the local bookstores in Victoria, um, and otherwise it's available online. Ooh, that's fantastic. And mm-hmm. you've, you've got some uh, you got some signings coming up, which we'll be talking about a little yep. bit later. We'll Absolutely. give the dates. Yeah, that's great. And I'm, I'm really excited for the signings, uh, mostly because I, I think it's going to be a battle for survival as your publicist, who <laughs> deeply hates me, hunts me to the ends of the earth like the predator did Arnold. <laughs> Um, for those of you who, do, who aren't familiar with this, uh, when we first started the show, I would always bleep the title of Ian's book. His publicist was not very pleased about this. His, well, it, it started out, she would uh, mention it and say, Ian Gibbs and Brennan Store and their podcast. Uh, yeah, when they did the social media post, they would mm-hmm. say, our, the new podcast from our author Ian Gibbs and co-host Brennan Store. And after about three episodes of me bleeping his, his, the title <laughs> of his book, it became uh, uh, Ian's podcast. <laughs> Pretty much. And so I, I sort of expected the signing. I'm just going to be, I'll be standing there and all of a sudden I hear that predator breathing noise <laughs> and then I'm going to see those, those three lights appear on my chest. You know what? No. Tori, and, Tori is very nice. No, and she's going to vaporize my torso. <laughs> she's really, I don't think she has the capability to vaporize. Oh, oh, oh what's Jesus. it? She's here. She found us in. <laughs> We're going to get to the chopper. Yeah, you run. And we'll boy. be right back.
Welcome back. I managed to survive the break without having my melon exploded by the uh, the tiny lady who is trying to sell Ian's book. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> Pass the ammunition. There you go. So like I said, Ian's new book is out and he's mm-hmm. going to be telling us all about it. And uh, I want to start by saying I most certainly have read this book and will definitely be using my deep knowledge of it. Finally, you For- mean you've read the book. In fairness, it took a while. Uh, Ian, I met Ian in December, and he gave me a copy of his book about two weeks after that, mm-hmm. and I read it on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, juxtapose, juxt- keep trying. Juxtapose that with me, who met Brandon the next day. I texted him and said, "Where should I buy your book?" I went and bought the book, and I read it the same day. But you know, that's just me. Joke's on him. I didn't pay for the copy he gave me. <laughs> That's a good point. And you so, win. Uh, point Bren. Point Bren. One exactly. zero. <laughs> so I'm going to, I'd love to just hear about the, the genesis of the book. Tell sure. Me, tell everyone a little bit about how it is you came to write it. Um, I came to write it, uh, and this story is embarrassing when um, authors come to me and say, please tell me, how do I get published? And I say, I don't know. They asked me to Does write it. Does this happen a lot? <laughs> Jesus, you, you, sound like, uh, you sound like the Lord on the Mount when they come to me for advice. They have. I've had four people. That's insane. I know. I know. And they're like, how did you get published? And I'm like. I have spoken to an, an audience of millions, literally of millions, promoting my book. Yeah. You are the only person who contacted me. Really? Yes. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't know how to feel about that. <laughs> At first I thought, oh, it's normal. Who gives a shit? No. And now, no, apparently you got and, and guys I, beating down your door. Well, well and actually I uh, contacted you because um, Karina, uh, she knows your wife. <laughs> of course. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> was, I didn't uh, even, I hadn't even heard you. <laughs> no one gives a hairy tit about the strange little place. I thought it was a good book, but Available we're here to in talk, stores near you. We're here to talk about mine, you selfish bastard. Oh right, yeah, yeah. No, so uh, let's let's see. Um, you're gonna tell the story. I'm sorry, sure. I interrupted you. Absolutely. So, um, I was doing ghost walks. Uh, I do those here in Victoria. You should come. They're fun. Seven thirty and nine thirty in the summertime, and um, we do basically a ninety minute guided walk around the city, um, telling ghost stories. And I was doing those at Halloween, where we do four a night. It's a very busy time, and uh, a lady hung back and and was asking some questions, which people do, which is fine. And she was asking very specific questions about certain stories. And I answered them as best I could. And then she said, um, do you, do you write the way you speak? And I have done a bit of writing before, not a lot. Um, but I've been told that, that I do actually sound, uh, when people read my writing, they can hear my voice. Oh yeah. (laughs) Tell me about it. (laughs) And I said, um, yeah, actually that's a weird thing to say, but yes, I actually do. And she said, um, um, because I want a book about the ghost of Victoria and I'm, I'm just wondering if you would write it. And I was like, um. Sure. So I cleared that with my boss, who is actually the man who compiles and puts together all the ghost stories. And, and John Adams is sort of the ghost story guy in, in town. And, and he wrote the forward for you. He wrote the forward for me, which was really nice. But I, you I didn't asked ask him, me, but that's fine. No, it's okay. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Well, I needed someone who people knew. Um, so <laughs> Just so that I'm going to eat this jelly bean while you're talking. That's well, why would you, oh, why would you oh. shut up? So I, I ended up um, actually talking to John and saying, look, I've been asked to do this. Do you mind if I do this? Because I would really like to, but if you, if you feel like I'm stepping on your toes, then 
I won't do it. And he was incredibly gracious, incredibly generous. He said, no, he said, it's great. He said, first of all, thank you for asking for permission because he'd had several people rip off his stories over the years. And, Ouch. and the second thing he said was, um, how is it a bad thing for me if one of my guides is a published ghost story author? And I thought, oh yeah, I never really flipped that one around. So um, he was nothing but supportive, nothing but helpful. And um, he has a book of his own, Ghost Sebastian Square, which is, is great too. And so I didn't really do any of the Ghost Sebastian Square because he had that covered. But other than that, it's a book full of um, ghost stories that uh, I've learned. And also there's a few of my own uh, experiences in there as well. Right. So, I mean, let's, uh, let's talk about some of these stories because mm-hmm. I'm really curious to hear, uh, you know, hear you actually talk about them. The first one I was curious about, there was that one about the cemetery where people bury their pets and then they come back to life. I mean, that, that seems almost too supernatural to be um, real. Can you? T- <laughs> yeah, that's Pet Cemetery by Stephen King, you idiot. Well, you have no, not read my book. I have. <laughs> you have, you've I, read a book. I have you have read, not read my I book. I have read several books. Uh, <laughs> Firestarter, that's you, right? <laughs> uh, I'm going to assume you mean the story about the fire Indian people, the First Nations people in the in my book, not the novel of a little girl who can start fire with her mind, also by Mr. Stephen King. Let's go with yes. <laughs> so the the story that it's actually one of my favorite ones. Um, it's about a, a place here in Victoria, used to be called Dead Man's Point. Uh, they changed the name because obviously no one would want to stay in a hotel called Dead Man's Point Inn. I would. <laughs> yeah, you probably would. Uh, it was a point of land that uh, came out across the Inner Harbor um, from the city of Victoria, and at the time it was covered in trees. A man saw the land and decided that would be a great place for a factory. His name was Jacob Sell, and he purchased the land, and the first thing he did was he hired a group of people to come in and clear the land off of the trees. Well, when they started to do this, they noticed that there were um, baskets and, and boxes of bones tumbling out of the trees, and not knowing what they were, they, they said to Jacob, what do we do? And he said, oh, just push them all into a pile. We'll burn them. The First Nations people, of course, knew exactly what was going on. This was one of their sacred groves of trees where they would bury their dead. They called it sky burial, and they would let the body... Um, become bones, and then they would load the bones into boxes and baskets and put them high up into the trees. Oh, okay. Yeah, so um, this was where they would go to commune with their dead. They didn't believe that the dead left. They believed they stayed with their bones, and so you needed to create places for the dead to to be able to hang out and and then you could go and talk to them and commune with them. So Jacob being a hardened businessman was like, yeah, (laughs) burn him. So they piled them all up. They set them on fire. And what didn't get set on fire, they pushed out into the waters. The chief of the village across the way uh, in the Songhees area saw this and um, sent a runner all the way around the harbor to find out like who are these crazy people bringing a curse on themselves and um the runner got there saw what was happening figured out what was going on ran back to the chief and said you know what they have no idea what they're doing and uh the chief the chief ended up moving like the women and children further away from the area because he didn't know what was going to happen but he knew something bad was going to happen the factory got built it was a furniture factory and um he had the factory all good to go he had his house about a mile away from the factory and one evening he and his wife were getting ready to go to bed and all of a sudden the uh house and at the exact same time the factory caught on fire at the same time even a, a mile apart and it was his wife who really bore the brunt of 
uh, the experience because they ran out of the house. They managed to uh, escape with their lives and nothing else. They were singed. And his wife continued to rant and rave for another few weeks later. She was actually ended up being um, tied to a bed. Uh, they said she was literally. Go on. <laughs> no, she was not barred from Stranger Things. No. Um, she literally ended up being uh, tied to the bed because she was ranting and raving about fire men. She said she saw these First Nations men who were leaping and jumping through the flames, running their hands along the curtains and the walls, making the fire burn faster. Jeez. And uh, she died a few weeks later. She um, uh, was one of the few people to ever have written on her death certificate, died of fright. Jacob kind of went, hmm, that didn't work out so hot. And he headed back, uh, back east. And then the land sat for 30 years. Uh, nobody wanted it. <laughs> Surprise. I'm shocked. So it took about 30 years for anyone to be interested in that land. And eventually a man named William Pendray uh, came forward. He was going to set up his own factory. And uh, while Mr. Pendray was not that concerned with ancient Aboriginal curses, he was certainly concerned about fire. Well, and, a white uh, industrialist who doesn't give a tit about the indigenous. <laughs> Isn't that weird? I know. We've this, never heard that story this before. This story is so unique. Man. Um, but so what he did was he set up a, a rather rudimentary fire suppression system, and it, it was mostly a, a big valve that would open up, and then water would shoot out of big cast iron pipes overhead. I thought he'd just pay, like, children in rags to shout... It's on fire, governor. It's on fire, governor. They just use the children to smother the blaze. <laughs> Pretty much. Dip them in the ocean and <laughs> throw them on the flames. Right. So, Go ahead. Um, so Mr. Pendray uh, decided he was going to do this. So he was going to put in this fire suppression system. And, and uh, the factory was done. He was excited. He was going to go inspect it. And he's walking through his brand new beautiful factory when one of the pipes overhead broke loose and somehow managed to hit him squarely in the head, killing him. Yikes. Yeah, not good. Uh, he had a son named Ernest. Um, Ernest suddenly found himself in a management position and uh, Ernest being like a lot of 20 year old guys likes fast cars, in this case, fast carriages. And uh, he had a pretty souped up carriage. It had um, steel around the rims of the wheels to cut through the mud quicker because he's cool. And um, he did was... they spin for God's <laughs> sakes? <laughs> and the carriage bounced up and of down. Of course. Yeah, it was pretty cool. I can't wait for someone to invent rap music yes, so but... I can look really fly. <laughs> Bitches love this. <laughs> so he, uh, he ends up racing towards the factory one day to get to work. And uh, for some unknown reason, the horse shies. It stops. He is thrown out of the carriage and then the horse takes off and the wheel of our friend's carriage rolled right over his neck separating his head from his body or his body from his head depending on which side of the road you're on I suppose that's um, a really whimsical way to look at a beheading isn't it I'm a pretty whimsical guy so um yeah he ends up uh dying and um no things aren't good <laughs> the beheaded man died and uh, he and expired later that day in hospital <laughs> but you know what the lucky thing is they had one more son who i'm not sure was super anxious to join the family business at this point um but he was walking to work it, legend had it that his mother had made him promise never to ride a horse to work he was walking to work he got to the gates of the factory and he found a 22 caliber shotgun leaning against uh, the gate, which he thought was strange. He thought he'd move it. No one would get hurt. And I don't know if have you handled a shotgun. Do you know? I have. Yeah. Okay. So you'll know how hard this was to do. He grabbed the gun and he was able to shoot himself in the chest. What? Yes. Which is so weird. So he shot himself in the chest. He did not die. But I believe, but open carry is totally cool. But I believe his factory uh, running days were limited. I bet he wished that. he'd died. Yeah, pr probably in I, those days, 1908. Oh man, I don't know how 
Yeah. yeah. I mean, was he, did he try and pick it up with his mouth? <laughs> I don't know. Hey, watch this. I, yeah, I'll hold my beer. <laughs> um, so now, um, so the factory, of course, is long gone, but the house the Penders built was actually quite close to the factory, and it's still standing in the Victoria Inner Harbor. It's known now, known now is the Gatsby Mansion. It's part of the Huntington Manor Hotel. And uh, it's uh, quite well known for being haunted. Uh, and there is a, a bit of a wait list. If you want the master bedroom suite, I believe it's room number four, um, in the Gatsby Mansion on Halloween, you have to uh, join a line, get on a wait list, whatever. Really? Yeah, because um, the heads of William and Ernest are said to come out and kind of spin around the room. And people generally flee and then the hotel knows that okay they stayed in room number four they get free breakfast because free breakfast fixes everything well i do agree that free breakfast fixes everything <laughs> i mean i could be drafted into an african jungle army <laughs> by machete bearing men in jeeps because they'd be looking for someone like you well i am i am very stout <laughs> and in the morning as long as as long as mobutu brought gave me free breakfast i'd think yeah no this is okay <laughs> This is fine. That's that's good. My concern, though, is, this, mm -hmm. and this is an issue I have. Mm -hmm. So they 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 wait in line mm -hmm. to stay in the haunted room mm -hmm. on Halloween, right? And then they leave because it's scary. No, now now, as far as I'm concerned, the clerk should say, "Go pick up that shotgun with your mouth <laughs> and pass the test." What did you expect? I know, you idiots. I know, I know. I I guess maybe it's more the people who don't expect it, right? Um, which yeah, I don't know. People are weird. I don't know if you know that, but um, <laughs> no, this is this is all new to me. <laughs> so this, recent uh, circumstances have <laughs> not conspired to show me that people are weird. <laughs> so the hotel is quite well known for this. Um, where the factory used to be is now um, it's called the Laurel Point Inn. It's quite oh, nice. Oh, yeah. that explains a few it, things. Yes, it does. Um, I've been in there, and uh, what they've reported is uh, shadows in the rooms, um, wine glasses coming off tables, that sort of thing. The maids apparently are not required to clean a room on their own. They can work in pairs because it is not the guests that they're worried about. It's the spirits that are there. Interesting. Um, and it's believed that they are um, the spirits of First Nations people who have lost their burial place. Right. Um, apparently, they're not quite as aggressive as they once were. They're not burning anything down. Um, well, that's a bonus. Uh, yeah. But I've been in that hotel, and I remember uh, being in there thinking, why? You know, it's so dark in here. It's so... But it wasn't like all the lights were on, you, but it was just kind of this weird darkness to it. And if you walk down the hall um, of the rooms uh, as you go past the restaurants, it just seems to get creepier and creepier the further you go. And for those of you who don't know, the Laurel Point Inn is a very, very, uh, I won't say exclusive, but very expensive hotel yeah. here in Victoria yeah. uh, made of glass and steel right on a point. It, on it's Laurel supposed point. to look like uh, a cruise ship. That's how it was oh, designed Oh, I see. To okay. Yeah. It's, I mean, so theoretically, it should be a very bright and airy space. But, Absolutely. But Ian's very right. There is something that just takes the, the, the joy out of the space. It's, yeah. it's not a happy place to be. No, not at all. Um, it, it, you, you get a sense of, of being uncomfortable. You get a sense of something that's not quite right. Interesting. Mm -hmm. So next, I'm really curious about the story in here about the haunted hotel. Uh, well, there's a few haunted hotels in Victoria. Which one? Uh, the one where the caretaker killed his kids. You mean The Shining also? <laughs> By Stephen King, uh, yeah. you idiot. Yeah, no, I was just, I was just testing you. I, <laughs> I wanted to make sure you'd read the book. <laughs> yeah, um, because I have definitely. I, I meant. Uh, hang on here. 
Uh, yeah, yeah, the Bedford Regency Hotel, of course. Right, yes. Yeah, uh, the one with uh, Charlotte the Hooker. Yeah, well, yeah. And, and I love that because Iron Maiden has a song called Charlotte the Harlot. Uh, great. And that's pretty sweet. Well, If me- we could afford music rights, I'd play that for you here. <laughs> and I would certainly enjoy hearing it. Um, so, yeah, no, the, uh, the Bedford Regency, I love this story. That building actually started out um, as a two-story building, and it was for a newspaper office. And uh, the man who owned it decided he wanted to expand it, and he added um, about four more floors. And he was going to turn it into an office building, but the offices, is, the space is kind of all dried up in Victoria in 1917. Um, and so he turned it into a hotel, and it quickly became a rather famous hotel for being the place where you wanted to have someone killed or purchase drugs, this would be a great place to start. Sounds like my kind of place. Yes, it does. And it was known as the Churchill. And it over the years, it just slowly got worse and worse and worse. Uh, and it went down into kind of pretty low around the 60s, 70s. And that's the time when this story takes place. Uh, there was a woman there named Charlotte. Um, she was also known as Lady Churchill. And she would entertain gentlemen for money in her room um, on a pretty regular basis. And there was uh, the other thing about her was she always wore this incredibly strong floral perfume you could always smell when charlotte was heading your way because uh the the smell of the perfume would choke a horse see i I have that but not with perfume (laughs) you definitely have a pungent aroma yes um like a llama or a goat (laughs) um so uh, bad man (laughs) that's a terrible joke so charlotte was uh you know quite well known obviously and uh very friendly uh she would often go downstairs uh, there was a beer parlor in the basement it was nicknamed the bucket of blood um kind of place you take mom for mother's day i guess and um, actually my mother wouldn't go there <laughs> your mom probably works there probably owns a place <laughs> and uh so uh charlotte would go down there every day around four or five o'clock she'd have a pint of beer you know rustle up some business whatever she was going to do and then uh you know get on with what she was doing and one day a man walked in. His name was Brady. Uh, he was not known as um, uh, an attractive man. He worked in radio. Apparently he had a face for radio. And uh, My mother said the same thing to me. <laughs> Your mama, I'd like to meet her, I think. I think um, you two would get along. That's why you must never meet. <laughs> so your, um, uh, Brady was is quite famous for, uh, he would always buy a cigar up on Government Street at the cigar shop. And uh, he would walk down the street, puffing on the cigar and going down into the pub. And again, you always knew when Brady was going to show up because you could smell the cigar smoke. So somehow Charlotte and Brady meet. Uh, they hit it off. He becomes a favorite client. He becomes a heavily discounted client. Uh, and by some miracle of God's design, these two end up getting engaged. How, how did he get that discount? Just asking for a friend. <laughs> Uh, charm, maybe? Oh, never mind. No, you're good. Uh, so, yeah, so Brady and Charlotte end up getting engaged, and this is kind of a miracle that no one ever thought these two would ever marry anyone, let alone each other. Uh, there's a lot of talk of going to Vancouver, we're going to start over, we're going to be, you know, we're going to start this new life. But um, there were some people who were not as thrilled that uh, Brady was taking Charlotte away. You know, some people thought of her more as communal property, I guess. And so uh, Brady never saw it coming. He, He came to the bar. He was going down the stairs from Government Street to go into the bar. And one of the patrons who said later at the trial, because you know this is not going to end well, he said, uh, I was only trying to scare him. And what oh, he, yeah, no. Yeah, it never works. Nope. So what he ended up doing was he hit a beer bottle on the side of the bar and he lunged at Brady's throat and he caught him right in the carotid artery. 
I was only trying to scare him. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. By murdering him by, so that in the next life. By slashing his throat. Oh boy. Yeah. So Brady turns, he tries to get up the stairs to get some help, but of course blood is spraying everywhere. And the newspaper at the time published a delightful quote when they said, we all knew Brady was dead when the cigar he kept constantly chomped in his mouth, rolled down the stairs and extinguished itself in a pool of his own blood. It's a Christmas card, really. You think maybe they'd know he's dead when a doctor pronounced him dead? <laughs> that poor son of a bitch is lying there. No, I, I just need, I just need a, a doctor. I just no, need, he's he's gone. The cigars out. The Sorry. cigars. <laughs> Throw him in the dumpster. You son of a bitch. I think he's saying, take my cigarettes <laughs> and my wallet and my wallet. Yeah, and you that, can have Charlotte too. That was his dying wish. <laughs> so the poor Brady is gone, and um, he's dead. And Charlotte comes downstairs, discovers that her not only her fiance but really her savior is now deceased. She quietly goes back upstairs, and unbeknownst to most people, Charlotte had a pretty serious heroin habit. And within a couple of weeks, she's gone as well. So the hotel just sort of kept grinding down into nothingness to the point where even they couldn't function anymore. And uh, it was closed, it was renovated, uh, reopened as the Bedford Regency. Ironically and somewhat cruelly, they turned Charlotte's old bedroom into the honeymoon suite, which, <laughs> which seems wrong. And people began complaining pretty quickly. Um, one of the big complaints was that people would go into the room and they would smell an overwhelming smell of flowers they would call down and complain um the other thing that happens and this is actually something we had confirmed on our ghost tour um was that uh people would go into the bathroom or they'd be approaching the room and they would hear a woman singing inside the room and um last summer uh two of the guides were, were doing the tour and the one guide was sort of standing off to the side and these two women a, a mother and a daughter approached the guide standing off to the side and said uh excuse me is there a story about our hotel and and she's <laughs> several. Let's go upstairs. I'll tell you. <laughs> what are you? What are you listening? Or what, what's your problem? And they said, "Well, we're staying in the room second from the end." And Charlotte's room is, of course, at the end. And uh, they said, uh, we have been there for two nights and we keep calling down to the front desk to complain that a woman is singing her full head off in the room beside us. And the hotel keeps saying, we're sorry, there's no one staying in that room. So that was nice for us because it gave us some confirmation of the stories that we tell. Yeah, no kidding. Um, and as far as our friend Brady goes, um, when they renovated the hotel, they decided not to put in another... Um, uh, a pub in the basement. They decided to turn that into a space for the staff to have coffee breaks, that kind of thing. And um, one day a gentleman approached um, at the front desk and said, excuse me, I'm just wondering, can I see downstairs? I used to work down there when it was a pub. And one of the uh, chambermaids was going past and she's like, yeah, no problem. Like, come with me. We're going to have a coffee. And they took him down there. So they went down there. And uh, of course, the doors that were traditionally the doors to the pub had been chained off and closed off years ago. They're all sitting down talking. He's telling them a bit about the good old days of the old Churchill when the smell of cigar smoke gets super strong. And everyone's like, what's going on? Because, of course, no one's smoked down there for 30 years. And that's when a full-bodied apparition of a man comes walking down the steps. And he was so real looking. One of the maids stood up and said, excuse me, sir, this isn't a public place. Like, uh, what are you doing down here? He got to the bottom of the stairs and he disappeared. And everyone was like, wow, that was amazing. But the poor bartender was the one sitting there very pale faced saying, right. I know who that was because oh, I wow. was working here the day he was murdered. And so maybe his presence was what triggered 
Grady to come back. But um, when I was writing the book, um, the biggest lesson I learned was you want to talk to two kinds of people in particular. You want to talk to the night janitors and you want to talk to the security guards because so true. they're the ones who are there after hours. And I, I did get to talk to um, a man named Andrew who is uh, the night janitor there. And um, I asked him for some stories and he told me some amazing ones. But my favorite one, and this shows how cool, calm, and collected Andrew is, he was uh, cleaning the men's bathroom in the basement around 3 o'clock in the morning. He had the door locked just so he could clean in peace. The place was closed. And as he's cleaning one of the stalls, he... Here's a noise, and he happens to look over at the sink, and the hot and cold taps are now running full, full force. No one's touched them. They've just come on by themselves. And I said to him, well, what did you do? And he goes, I went and cleaned somewhere else for a while, which <laughs> was, would not have, I would have been so gone. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, so, same here. As the cowardly lion that I truly am. So uh, it was, um, it was cool. Um, he told me a lot of great stories. Um, there are, you know, I, piled them into the book and um it, it's a fascinating building really really good now there is ironically a bar uh, called the churchill in the hotel oh of course yeah, yeah. i which, wondered why they called it the Churchill. that's I, why i thought it was just part of victoria's stupid obsession with all things english nope it was actually an homage to the old name of the hotel so. oh okay and it's a great pub it's got a ton of beer on tap and and it's just a nice place to hang out i think they share a kitchen with the garrick's head which is on the end of the block they do it's uh, the garrick's head is actually attached to the hotel they're all now one big right. kind of building. But yeah. yeah they yeah. have incredible French fries. Excellent. The Garrick's Head makes incredible French fries. That surprises me you know that much about French fries. I know. Well, with my lean runner's physique, <laughs> you wouldn't know that I enjoy such you, sumptuous treats. You would not know at all. No. And, and certainly I'm not munching while you're talking. I'm not munching on jelly beans over no, here. loudly. Loudly. Yes. Yeah. Well, no, no you're, you're being... as it turns out, you cannot eat jelly beans quietly. <laughs> no. And Frank, not eating jelly beans in the walls. <laughs> that would have been bad. That would have been Maybe bad. that's what happened. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen Inglorious Bastards. I know how it works. <laughs> All right, we're going to take a short break, and we come back, we're going to have more stories from Ian, and uh, hopefully no off-color jokes about the Holocaust. <laughs> we'll be one step above the White House press room. <laughs> All right, we're right back. Welcome back to the Ghost Story, guys. We are still, still talking about <laughs> Ian's book, Victoria's Most Haunted. Uh, which kind is, of you. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, available in stores April 25th on mm -hmm. Tuesday. It'll be out. Yep. And Ian is just about to tell us another story. This one, uh, tell me the one about the, uh, it was a little girl drowned and uh, there's a videotape. What? And then, yeah, she kills you in seven days. If you're <laughs> it's The Ring. The movie, The Ring. Oh. That has nothing to do with my book. 
it's not about a drowned kid. Okay, and well, no, there is one about a drowned kid. There is a, a hotel chain here in town that is now defunct, um, and for a while they were trying to open up some boutique hotels, and as a result of this, they purchased a home out on the Sanche Peninsula, right on the beach, uh, quite a large home, and they were using it as a, a kind of a and b sort of place. Um, and... Uh, my wife had decided she was going to, she was going to, she won a night or something. And so she was going to have the night there. And then I was going to go the second night. And, uh, I got there and I said, Hey, how is it? Like this house is beautiful. It's a beautiful place. And she's like, eh, I didn't sleep very well. It was, it was, yeah, I felt weird here. And, um, I was like, Oh, and I went in the front door and then off to the left, um, was a hallway with, with doors at an angle. And those were the bedrooms. Um, and at the end was an, a, a door, a big wooden door at the very end. And then if you went to the right, you went, uh, there was a giant kitchen and a living room and a dining room, and then just a wall of glass overlooking the ocean. It was, it was stunning. It was the largest room I think I've ever been in, in a private home. And, uh, I was walking around a bit and I noticed that I went towards the kitchen and, and that I, I didn't feel so bad, but the further down the hall I got, to this wooden door, I felt more and more uncomfortable. And eventually I got to the end of the hall. I opened the door and there was a swimming pool and uh, indoor pool. And I went in and I started walking a little bit around the pool and it was incredible. It was just the saddest um, feeling. I, I it, it was just indescribably sad and, and lonely. And uh, I felt terrible. And I came out of there and I walked up to the room and I went in and and I said, is it, do you, have you gone swimming? And she said, well, I went in the pool and I just got right back out again. I was just not happy there at all. And I said, yeah, like, it's just really sad. And, and, uh, that night as we were trying to get to sleep, I didn't sleep well at all because it just felt like something was trying to get your attention, trying to get your attention. So the next morning, um, there was a woman there and, and this woman pretty much ran the joint. She was the cleaner, the cook, the receptionist, uh, everything. She did everything. Um, and it was her job to kind of make the guests happy. And so we were sitting at the counter where she was making breakfast and there was another couple off in the living room, another couple off outside. And, and I really wanted to know what it, maybe I was, maybe she didn't feel anything, but I wanted to know. So I began that sort of delicate dance one does when one wants to know something, but doesn't want to appear like a crazy person. Is it in yet? <laughs> so, oh my God, you're a pig. So I was trying to figure out how to, um, ask her this without coming off like I'm insane. So I was talking to her a little bit about the house and what her job was there. And she was describing all that. And, and I said, do you ever feel kind of a little bit, um, creepy here? And she looks, kind of looks around and she goes, why do you think I live in the garage? Uh, and there was an apartment in, in the garage where she stayed. And I said, do you know the history of the house at all? Do you know what, what was going on? And, and she said, yeah, actually it was built by a German industrialist and he had three sons and they were living in the house. And, uh, then the, um, one of the sons, apparently the youngest one drowned in the pool, which is awful. And the family was I'm so glad you pointed that out, yeah. <laughs> which was well, hilarious. Yeah. Um, so this poor board died. Um, and the family apparently couldn't handle it. They sold the house immediately, went back to Germany, but it just seems to me that that boy just got left behind like he's just he, he's still there something is still there um he feels abandoned and um 
it was it was one of the most profound feelings and i think maybe because it was a child there was no kind of subterfuge or trying to hide what was happening this kid was in pain um and i didn't get to go back again it, the hotel chain folded the house got sold i don't know what the history is now but it was a pretty profound experience to have just in a hotel so do you think that was a conscious haunting that wasn't residual energy I think that was a. I think that was definitely a conscious thing, and I think the reason it was so hard to get to sleep that night was because he was looking for someone, like looking, I guess, for his family, but looking for someone to pay attention to him. I mean, right. that was. It's hard to describe. I don't like. I didn't see anything. I don't see things. Right. Um. I often don't hear things, but I just sort of pick things up. And for this kid, that was really what was coming through. Was he was just desperately lonely. And and didn't understand where his family had gone. Oh man, yeah, that, that's that's awful. No, I know. I it wasn't. I <laughs> big surprise. The hotel folded. Yeah, no kidding. No one wants to hang out with the ghost of a dead crying kid. I don't <laughs> even like live crying kids. I don't know why I'd like a dead one. <laughs> oh, that wasn't very nice. No, no, that was terrible. I'm turning into that's... you. <laughs> God forbid. <laughs> one is bad enough. <laughs> So, I mean, you, you've obviously got a history of this, and I guess that makes being like sensitive to these things, which mm -hmm. I guess makes sense. That's why you joined that group. Um, what are they? You guys had the firehouse. <laughs> oh, shit. What was it? The Ghostbusters. That's. You total tool. <laughs> right, right. Sorry, sorry. Uh, you, no, you, you helped someone uh, with a ghost. Uh huh. Yes. You, you, weren't, you weren't the new black guy on the team. <laughs> Who joined just as a state puff mark. Okay. No, tell the story, please. Okay. No, so uh, a bit of a caveat to this. If you're having a ghost problem, don't call me. Don't call me. I am and not. And someone did. And someone, yes. That was. That, that was, was upsetting. That was rough. Um, no, I'm not the guy to call to help you with your ghost problem. I am happy to refer you to some very nice people who are in town here. Um, Send me nudes first. <laughs> And I will psychically intuit oh, whether or not we can help you. You're such a pig. So, um, no, but I don't, I mean, I, I've helped my friends. Um, I'm not the guy to call to get a ghost out of your house. I'm like the guy. If you want to, like, get along with the ghosts, then I'm the guy to call. Because I, I'm often pretty good at being able to figure out what's happening or who's there or, or what the situation is. I'm never going to come over with like incense and candles and holy water and banish anything from your home. That's just not going to be a service I will provide. Always a bridesmaid. <laughs> never a bride. But if you want to know kind of what's going on, I am more than happy to help out. So this friend had mentioned that she'd had some weird experiences in her rented apartment. This is a house up on Fort Street. Um, and she'd said that uh, she'd heard her name being called. Um, she had been woken up in the night, uh, a couple times the toilet had flushed on its own, um, things like that. And, and she knew something was going on. Uh, one night she had three candles lit on her coffee table and she, she noticed the middle one was flickering. The other two weren't. And this was not a forced air home. This was like a radiator heat home. There's no fans on nothing like that. No windows open. And she said to the candles out loud, she goes, are you doing that? If you're doing that, stop it. And the candle immediately stopped flickering in the middle. And then she stopped and she looked and she waited and then she went, okay, you can do it again. And the middle candle began flickering. Holy man. Yeah. No, she's pretty brave. Um, so she talked to me about this when she found out I was kind of into ghosty stuff. And uh, um, that's the technical term, by the way. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Yes. Yeah. I remember seeing that in the dictionary. Yeah. 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 And uh, she said, um, would you come in and check out what's what's going on? And I said, I gave her my thing. 
about being a coward. Um, Glad you finished that sentence. Said, yeah, and I said, um, I'm happy to do that, but just say no. I'm not a fixer. I'm just an interpreter. So went over and sat down. And for me, it was weird because I was I had worn a cap all day. I had a cap on, which I don't usually do. Did, did Egon come? <laughs> Shut up. And um, oh. I sat down in the living room and uh, I just sat there and I kind of just relaxed and kind of let myself be a little more open to what was going on. And immediately I took my hat off. I said, oh, no, that's no good. Oh. And my friend said, oh, I don't care. Like, whatever. And I said, not you. And what I got was, and again, I don't see things, but I got this image of a, a soldier mm -hmm. and he was standing in the kitchen. He was watching us and I described him to my friend and said, yeah, like he's standing there and I can see him. He's got his, he's got his hands behind his back. And she goes, you mean at ease? I went, oh, that's, uh, yeah, I guess that's what it is. I didn't put that together, but yeah, that, that's exactly what it was. And um, I didn't know World War One, World War Two. I could describe his uniform. Um, afterwards, we went on Google and we, we Googled uniforms and it was World War One. Oh, okay. Um, which was cool. Um, and I just sort of tried to be open to what he wanted known. And I just, I get pictures in my head. It's really weird. And I was able to tell her, that he likes her. He thinks she's a good person. Mm -hmm. He likes her being there. Um, it was a bit like he was protecting her from something else in the house and that he, he, he approved of her. He, he liked her presence being there. At some point she had said to him, I asked her, have you, if you feel safe enough, have you asked him what his name is? And she said, no, I haven't. I'll, I'll give it a try. So for three nights she said, what's your name? What's your name? <clears throat> One night she turned out the light, she lay back and she said, what's your name? And she said, it was like green came up behind her eyes and it said, my, and then it faded, name faded, is faded. And then it went C-H-R-I. And she said, Christopher, and the letters faded and the word yes came up. That's amazing. So she knew his name was Christopher. And while I was there, we sort of just sort of hung out with him and, and got a feel for him. And then he wandered away. I don't, <laughs> I had to go to the ghost bathroom. I don't know. And we talked a bit about that and, and that was cool. And she was really happy that that had happened. She knew more about him. She did some research on the house. Turned out it had been a convalescent home in World War One and World War Two, like a military hospital. Right. So guys would get injured. They'd be brought back to Victoria Harbor, Scramble Harbor. And then they would spend time in this house until they were well enough to go home. They'd be shipped home. And Christopher was pretty clear. Christopher had, um, he had died unexpectedly. He didn't expect to die. They didn't expect him to die. Um, and he was, while well, he was at the home and, and he was, he was dead and he was gone and, um, he knew this, but he didn't have anywhere else to go. This is kind of where he felt safe. And after that happened, I would check in with her periodically and, and one day she said, oh, something really weird happened. And I said, oh, what's that? And she said, uh, I went in the kitchen and she had a very old, like 1940 stove. It was an effort to turn this sucker on. And there was a copper kettle on one of the burners. And uh, she came in the kitchen and every single burner was on red hot, except for the one with the kettle. Oh. And yeah. And we were like standing in the hallway at work. And I said, that's really odd. Like, and what I was getting from this was it's some kind of warning. And I said, have you done something? Have you changed something? Have you altered something? 
She said, no, no, but she looked a little shifty. <laughs> she said, I started smoking crack. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I'm molesting guinea pigs in the basement. <laughs> um, so she she looked a little like, kind of unsettled. and uh, But she said, no, no, I don't think so. I don't think so. She went away. Uh, we checked in a little while later. She told me she had a new boyfriend and uh, that um, Christopher wasn't around as much. When he was there, when the boyfriend was there, Christopher wasn't. And then one day... Um, the stove, none of the burners got turned on except the one with the kettle. And it was on red hot. Oh. And I said, seriously, did nothing change? Well, as the story came out, it was the fact that um, the night, the day after when the stove lit up was the first night the boyfriend had stayed over. Oh, okay. I was like, okay. Because I think Christopher felt kind of protective, like kind of he right. was in charge of maintaining her virtue so, so burn your house down <laughs> oh that sounds fair i'm sure you've done that to an ex-girlfriend um, only because i love them <laughs> so much and they just don't understand no no one ever does <clears throat> so um in in the end uh they moved from that home um some things still happened but nothing quite like what had happened before Interesting. So once so, the boyfriend came in christopher backed off it was pretty interesting so mm -hmm. She's now moved to a new home, and uh, so far pretty ghost-free. Uh, there, there does seem to be something in the house. Um, I've been out there, and I'm pretty sure originally it was Aboriginal land because it's quite a ways out of town. Right. Um, and that was my impression was that it was some Aboriginal people who were coming and checking it out. But she's happy, so far so good, so that's a good thing. So I'm, I'm going to ask you this, and this is a question a lot of people asked me when I was interviewing mm -hmm. for my book, mm -hmm. and I quickly grew tired of it, and I'm sure you will too. Why do you think <clears throat> Victoria is so haunted? Now, I know we've talked in past a little yeah. bit about, you know, certain like chemical or the rock geological yep. makeup of the yep. place. And, Surrounded and by like salt, trapped yeah. energy, uh, ley lines. Right. Um, ley lines are a huge thing, more in England than they are here. Um, a lot of the uh, big uh, burial mounds and, and henges are all built very strategically on ley lines. The cathedrals, great cathedrals right. built on ley lines. Victoria is at a ley line intersection. I think we have about eight that run through here. Really? Yeah. So that's quite unusual. Um, and coastal, there's something, and this is my own personal theory. I don't know if it's true. Um, my own personal theory has been that the coastal places seem to attract more energy and specifically the West coasts, right? Um, the West coast of England, the West coast of Ireland, the West coast of Canada seems to be much more spiritually vibrant than other places in the country. I don't, I don't know why. It, it is interesting. I think, Victoria, the combination of the history of the First Nations people, as well as the ragtag, out-of-control Europeans who first came here, and then the geological stuff with being surrounded by saltwater traps energy, um, and the beliefs of the First Nations people who believed that their ancestors did not go. They remained. They were part of life. Um, you've got 10,000 years of dead First Nations people, right? their spirits hanging around thinking they belong here. Watching us pee. And maybe they do, right? Like, uh, that's the thing. So it's interesting. I, I don't know why. I know I felt it when I moved here and mm -hmm. I was quite comfortable with it. The only place I'm not comfortable with it in Victoria, James Bay. And, you know, I, I of course, live in James Bay. Yes, and, you do. Oh, man. I have really noticed there is a period of about two weeks where at night, James Bay was so dark. Mm -hmm. And I mean, mm -hmm. obviously it's nighttime, it's going to be dark. And, and so any of you yahoos who want to- lack of light. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> any of you ding-dongs want to write in and tell me how nighttime is dark. Just, you know. 
know this. I, I understand that. But it's darker than the rest of town. I, right. One night I went for a walk. This is about a week a week ago now. Went for a walk. It was, I want to say about 1030. It wasn't mm-hmm. late, late. And I, I walked um, up Menzies Street as far as uh, Simcoe, right. the thrifties. Mm-hmm. And as soon as I crossed Simcoe, going down towards the water, it just got oppressive. Yeah. The best way I can describe it is oppressive. There was a a quality to the air. Yeah. A quality to the night. Yeah. Uh, it lasted, and there was, I saw a handful of people, so it wasn't like the streets were deserted. Yeah. But there was just an, something that made me very uncomfortable. I, I once did a walk, uh, walked up to Thrifty's, and then began heading towards the park, so crossed over. Um, and then began heading towards Beacon Hill. Right. And the minute I crossed that street off the Thrifty's property onto the other side, I literally felt like I was being followed. Yeah. Or watched or followed something um, for about three or four blocks until I got out of kind of the heart of James Bay. So I don't know what it is. I There is absolutely something going on there. Um, the Edelweiss Club is there that uh, oh, of course. there's been a few investigations on. It's very haunted. And now that's also shadow people in the Edelweiss Club, yes, I, as I recall. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 When I went on that walk the other night, but once I got down to Dallas, it was fine. But then as soon as I got over to his Wago and started walking up his Wago, it was so quiet. Yeah. So eerily quiet. I almost called someone just so I'd have company. And I mean wow. I I've You're used to being on you drive around it all the time at night. All the time. Yeah. yeah. I've driven Sucre Road at night yeah. by myself. Yeah. I mean Christ, I, I I took pictures in the city of industry, California at one in the morning by myself. That's right. <laughs> I, but for whatever reason on this stretch of road, I just felt so exposed Wow. and alone. That's wild. I could hear traffic, but it was diffuse. Like it was yeah. a million miles away. Right, right, right. And as soon as, as soon as I got near Simcoe, people. Wow. And all of a sudden, oh, there's a few people around and I felt fine. Yeah. But it was something about that stretch between Simcoe and Dallas. that was just, I don't know, deeply uncomfortable. So yeah, James Bay is, is a very, very... Very, very intense place to be. Very unsettled. And I don't know what that is, but uh, yeah. And I will say the only two people who've ever challenged me to fistfights have been in James Bay. (laughs) It surprises me you don't get challenged more for people wanting to punch you. I I pick on people smaller than me. (laughs) That's the key, you understand. All right, so that's going to do it. I think we're going to uh, we're going to stop it there. We don't want to give away all the good stuff. No, no way. You got to buy the book. You got to buy the book. That's <laughs> it. Buy five copies. <laughs> give, give them to friends. Give it to the people you love, and especially the people you hate, <laughs> especially in nighttime. That's right. So, Victoria's most haunted. Where can people find it? In um, it's going to be in town here. It's going to be in Bolins, Monroe's, Chapters, any any great bookstore in town like that. Um, Bolins and Monroe's wouldn't take my book, so isn't that nice for you? Huh? <laughs> well, they do have standards, um, but. It's also going to be available online pretty much anywhere. Um, it's going to be all over. So, yeah, no, it's it's out there. I believe it's going to be sold on the ferries, which I love. That is so cool. Yeah, that is really cool. So that's fun. That's a definite part of Vancouver Island is going on the ferries. Absolutely. <laughs> and you've got a signing event coming up. I do on uh, May 9th at Bolin Books, uh, 7 o'clock. I will be there reading some stories and signing some books. So come on down. And I will be there fleeing sudden death at the uh, hands of Ian's publicist. (laughs) Yeah, no, Tori will not kill anyone on the event. 
<laughs> She'll kill me. I'll only, yeah, I'll only make the disclaimer. I can assure you, she will not kill anyone at the event. That's yeah, the only. Yeah. A- afterwards, all bets are off. Well, yeah, she can be fierce. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so we're gonna be back in two weeks. Um, Want to thank Peter at Pizanta Music for our great intro. Definitely. Want to thank Will Forbes Music again for his fantastic bumper music. Thank you, Will. Check those both those guys out on SoundCloud. Yep. Uh, rate and review us on iTunes, please. You know, uh, it just helps. It helps get more eyes on the place. Uh, yep. Bumps our numbers. And if you like the the post and you like the podcast, share it on your own Facebook page. Absolutely. We would love that. Yeah. Share it on your, if if you're too cool for Facebook, which I understand. <laughs> uh, share it on whatever social media platform you happen to like. <laughs> uh, you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook at Ghost Story Guys. Yep. Uh, again, Ian's book is available everywhere fine books are sold. My own book, A Strange Little Place, <laughs> The Hauntings and Unexplained Events. Of I have a town. copy you can buy. <laughs> I'll give it to you. No resell. <laughs> no resell. <laughs> it's available on Amazon, everywhere else fine books are sold. Mm-hmm. Until next time, uh, take care, be good to one another, and- Go, uh, go buy a book. Wait, what? Uh, do you hear that? I think- Uh-oh. <laughs> no. She's coming in. I'm not going to live to see her signing. <laughs> Oh, shit. Oh, goodbye. Well, bye, everybody. Bye. Welcome to the Ghost Story, guys. I'm Brennan Store. I'm. <laughs> I know it's very loud, isn't it? It's super loud. Sorry. It freaked me out. Okay. Well, I guess I'll <laughs> do the intro again, won't I? You <laughs> bastard. Oh, I did wonder why it was so loud. It was super loud. Okay. Frighteningly loud. <laughs> Probably wet myself a little bit. That's just old age catch. Oh, there you go. <sighs> okay. Third time's the charm. <laughs> <laughs>